Today's show is sponsored by our friends at distilleryproducts.com. If you are a bourbon group or you are a store or a distillery and you need custom laser etched glassware at wholesale prices, that means the prices are pretty damn good, y'all. Check out distilleryproducts.com. I am happy to get you in touch with them. It is a family-owned and operated business. Carson, Janie, Vicky, all the good folks over there at distilleryproducts.com. They not only have laser etched glassware, they also have awesome swag like customized flasks and other cool things like drink stirs. Check it all out. Go to distilleryproducts.com, see for yourself, and reach out to me. I would love to get you in touch with them. Today's show is also sponsored by our friends at Orca Coolers. It is summer. Summer is hot. It's hot everywhere. You need a cooler that is going to be able to hold ice while it's hot. And Orca Coolers has that. They also have awesome tumblers. They have a barrel tumbler. It looks like a little whiskey barrel. Check them all out at orcacoolers.com. Use code DADSEASON and get 20% off your order. That's D-A-D-S-E-A-S-O-N. Make sure to check them out. Get a cooler or a tumbler. I mean, that cooler holds ice three, four, five days, no problem. I mean, you open that thing up after a few days, the ice looks like you just put it in there. Make sure to go to orcacoolers.com and use code DAD. Season. All right, we all hear the trumpets every single time we turn on the TV. That is because it's the Olympics, and Action 24 7 wants to let you get in on the action with daily promos, boosts, and patriotic parlays. Check their social media every day to see how you can make some money while cheering on the USA. There's MLB free bets the rest of the week through Saturday. Bet $30 on any MLB game, and you get a $25 free bet one per customer you can bet triple a at action 247.com and they also have free to play games every day use code dads 100 they will match up to a hundred dollars of your first deposit they have some big games in the work for the music city grand prix and week one of football season so stay tuned go to action 247.com use code dads 100 I'm glad to see him wearing blue because he graduated from Ohio State University, and I am not going to say the for you. Man, that's tough. I'm blue right off. I'm just saying, I know I'm wearing red, you're wearing blue. What I was telling Ann, and I'm going to introduce everybody here in a second, but what I was telling Ann, going to Kentucky, there were a lot of Ohio State rejects. And they would walk around the University of Kentucky all the time in Ohio State gear. And it just grinds my... I love Columbus as a city. I can't stand Ohio State. Can we still be friends? And we're out. (laughs) (laughs) Anne's loving this. She graduated from that school up north. Or she's not graduated from the school up north, but she's from that state up north. I grew up in a Michigan State family, so we grew up not like Michigan either. <laughs> the funny thing I will say too is I am also from New England originally. So being a big Tom Brady fan, I might have Tom Brady's Michigan jersey. And to make matters worse, I played football and my high school team ran a wing tee. We had the Michigan helmet, but it was white and red instead of the maize and blue. This hurts. This hurts. I, I should have worn scarlet. I should have worn some red. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I told you, I said before we started recording, you didn't know what you had in for you. Cover up my red shirt with some bourbon. Uh, (laughs) A funny story. When we first started, our first two bottles were yellow and blue. I took some heat in Columbus, Ohio for that. And I kept telling, don't worry, when the bourbon comes out, it's going to be red. We'll get there. We'll get there. Don't worry. 
Hello, hello, everyone. My name is John Edwards, and I am Sam Zeke Baker, but together we make the Dash Drinker Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us a part of your day. And as you can tell, we're already becoming fast friends, but I have three individuals from Watershed Distillery in Columbus, Ohio, a wonderful city, lots of stuff to do there, bustling arts community, gorgeous downtown, and now they have a gorgeous distillery that has been around for quite some time. If you haven't heard about them yet, you should. It is Watershed Distillery. We have Greg Lehman, Annie Dimmick, and Aaron Harris. Now, Greg is the owner. Anne is, I, I called you Annie, even though your Instagram is Bourbon Annie. She is, I love this title, by the way. She is the barrel master and resident bourbon nerd. And then Aaron is the head distiller. So welcome all of you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Greg, you go first. Tell us a little bit about yourself. We know you went to Ohio State University. Do you know why Ohio State decided to put the in front of it? Uh, You know what? I know it is the Ohio State University, and I don't know the reason why. Uh, can you enlighten me or are you just questioning? No, I a hundred percent know why. So it was Ohio university was also a school in Ohio. They are still a school in Ohio and the other Ohio school. And it was to distinguish themselves from Ohio university and basically to say that they are the Ohio state university. And it was more to do with the fact that they were more of an agricultural school at the time than Ohio university. was. I, I know way too much dumb shit. I'm sorry. No, that makes perfect sense. I'm on board. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. So you learn something new every day. I learned, came on the podcast and learned. This is great. <laughs> uh, well, I grew up just north of the Ohio state university in a little town in Ohio and went to school there. You know, when I went to school there, I didn't know what I was going to be, but I knew I wanted to play volleyball, which sounds a little bit strange for a guy playing volleyball, but they have a great program and we had huge success and it actually helped me get a contract to play pro volleyball after that. So I lived in Switzerland for a couple of years playing pro volleyball. There was a lot of inspiration from this little town of Appenzell in our distillery and what we do. So I came back after playing volleyball, got a real job, kind of grew up and was in sales and traveling around the U.S. and really wanted to be more involved in the community and the Columbus community. And so I, I started brainstorming different ideas and came up with this idea to distill gin and distill bourbon here in Columbus. And, uh, the, you know, when I lived in Switzerland, there was this a local distiller in Appenzell and a local furniture maker, egg farmer, railroad car maker, everything local. And so Really, uh, my idea was how do we bring some of that back to Columbus and, and do something similar? And this is at a time when you didn't see craft distillers in the U.S. At least in Ohio, you didn't see them. Uh, there were some on the coast, but um, it was pretty unique to bring that to central Ohio at the time. And it's funny. I didn't have any money. I didn't know how to distill. But when you go out and you ask your friends, hey, should I make gin? Should I make bourbon and leave my job? And Every single one of them was like, yes, yes, go do this, please. <laughs> so it was uh, a little bit of encouragement and a lot of support from friends and family that got me to get the distillery going. So what was that inspiration then from Switzerland? Just the fact that there were local things or was were there spirits out there that you were trying that made you get into spirits more? It was high, Everything was hyper local there. That was one of the big things. But they did make spirits there. So I was... 
right across the street from where I lived, the president of the fan club for the volleyball team, he owned the bar across the street. So don't figure I'm in my 20s. I go over there every night. And when I would walk in, the guys would cheer. They'd be like, hey. And they were kind of making fun of McDonald's and kind of just like buying drinks. But they would say, menu number one, menu number one. And menu number one was a shot of their local spirit and a pint of their local beer. And they would just slide that across the bar to me. One of the guys there would buy me menu number one, and I would have a shot in a, in a beer. And that was pretty much every night walking in there. When we were crafting the idea for Watershed, it didn't start out spirits, but we loved the hospitality industry. And so we would talk about Athens. Well, you know, they did everything locally. They made their own soda. They made their own just pretty much everything. It was so well supported. And so when I was like, well, they make spirits there locally. Why doesn't anyone do that here? We have local beer. And so that got the conversation going. And we, my business partner at the time said, well, he wasn't my partner, but he was the guy that I was looking at this with. He said, but it's illegal. It's got to be. That's why there's none. I was like, well, let's live in a world where it, it, maybe that's not right. Let's let's Google it and see. And so then we did some research and found there were some guys doing it on the East Coast, on the West Coast. And so we started looking into it. And I always say it got some momentum and I still kind of approach it and go to work every day and say, well, let's see if we can get a little farther down the road. Let's see what we can do. The funny thing is you all started in 2010, you know, me being down here in Nashville now, a lot of people don't realize, and hopefully the people that listen to our show do, I mean, like Tennessee really started 2012, 2013. You actually had a couple years jump on Tennessee because they had to change laws. Did you have anything up there that was holding you back from starting a distillery or was it just money? Yeah, there were some laws that got passed uh, right before we started. There was a, a guy distilling out of his garage, basically, in Cleveland and one in Cincinnati. So that was it in Ohio. But they passed this law that allowed for three licenses to sell bottles out of a bottle shop. When we started, we actually, because of where we were, we missed out on one of those licenses. So then we had to go back. The first two years, we couldn't sell bottles out of our shop. We had to give a tour, give a taste, and then give someone a map to the closest liquor store. And so by 2012, we were able to get that law changed. And now eventually, you know, we formed a guild with the other distillers in the state, and we were eventually able to, to get some more laws passed. It's, Ohio's a great state to be a distiller in now. But it definitely wasn't at the time. Uh, I say wasn't. It just had some hurdles that we had to overcome. But the liquor control in Ohio has been pretty amazing to work with and cheering for us. And about that same time, maybe a few years earlier than Tennessee, we were able to get some stuff done that opened up the door to create this industry, really. And I do want to introduce, I, I am well aware that we haven't even introduced Anne and Aaron so welcome both of you. I do have a follow-up question for you, Greg, but Anne, welcome to Hello. the show. Thanks for having us. We just got right into it. I'm sorry. We did. This is pretty much how every day goes. And you are in charge of all of the age spirits, basically, in the private barrel program. Yeah, I somehow convinced Greg that that was a real job, and I get to go do it every day. I've been at Watershed since, uh, I think, right around Q4 of 2019. So it's been really fun. And before that, with Wild Turkey and Russell's Reserve. So I've been playing in bourbon for about a decade now. 
I really like my five minute commute to a distillery every day that never gets old. Were you living in Kentucky working at Wild Turkey or were you living in Ohio? No, I've been in Ohio actually since um, the mid 2000s, but also a transplant from the state up north. Very exciting. And started my career ironically, in the auto industry as a mechanical engineer. There were a bunch of years as a stay-at-home mom and then uh, answered a Craigslist ad, and that is literally how I ended up in the liquor industry. What was the Craigslist ad for? <laughs> That's a good question. No, it was actually, uh, there was, it was during the kindergarten years, and it was an ad to do wine tastings in grocery stores, and I was like, well, I like wine. I could go talk about it for a few hours. And that was pretty much. And then somebody figured out I knew how to use Excel and PowerPoint. And it just kind of went from there. Another transplant. Now, Aaron was down in Kentucky. He was at Luxrow and also Barton 1792. You lured away, Greg, an awesome distiller from Kentucky to go up to Columbus, Ohio. Aaron, welcome to the program as well. Thank you for having me. What was it like moving from Kentucky up to Columbus? You know, after meeting the crew, you know, there at Watershed, it, it didn't take a whole lot of convincing, but um, it uh, has definitely been a transition, you know, from going from 1792, where they're making six and a half to seven million PGs a year, getting out of there and building Luxro from the ground up and only making 1.5 million PGs a year. And then we get to Luxro with, excuse me, to Watershed. And it's a lot less, you know, obviously under 50,000 PGs. So it's a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. Not mentally, not uh, psychological. It's, it's, uh, it's just, there's a lot more little stuff that has to go right. Um, and uh, a lot of stuff that, you know, if you're making 60 barrels a day, you can hide, you know, mistakes here and there. But when you're only making, you know, you're banking on making like eight or nine barrels a week, you need them. And everything has to be way more on point than anything I've ever done. It's making me a better distiller. That's awesome. Is there a big difference in like computerization coming from some of those bigger distilleries to then going to watershed. I mean, I, I feel like some of that stuff, people don't even realize how much computers have a hand in distilling now. Yeah. I would say that, um, more, there's more for me. Um, I've got a little bit more paperwork now because, um, you know, you could have a 24 hour shift where you might have, you know, four or five sheets of paper. You go to a craft distillery, we work 16 hours a day but we're blending, we're processing, we're sanitizing, we're cooking, we're filling barrels, we're harvesting barrels, we're doing it all. So, um, and then you're all under kind of one uh, supervision line. So it's, you've got to look at everything. That is a, a huge change, I bet. But it brings me to the question I had for Greg that I was going to go back to before I realized how rude I was to Ann and Aaron. When you decide to start your distillery and you realized you, know, you, you don't have a lot, you just went to your friends and said, should I do this? And they said, yeah, go ahead. And then you got to get a still and you realize how much a still costs. What did you then do in the beginning to get all that going? What made you decide to get the setup you did? What is your setup? Has that setup changed as you've gone sure. on? That was one simple question. I, I got the answer. <laughs> yeah. It's uh so we started out and we looked at a whole, we looked at a number of different steel manufacturers and actually the one that we chose, we, we loved the quality on it, but they also 
Agreed. It was Kota was the still manufacturer and it was made over in Germany. And they agreed to bring uh, the expert from Germany over and their manufacturing rep in the U.S. down to help set it up and train us on it. They also had us in Chicago. We went up there and took some did some courses on the equipment beforehand. We signed up with them because of all the training involved where if we had gone to Vendum in Kentucky or a few others that were more established still manufacturers, they're pretty much like, yeah, put your order in and we'll ship you the still and you're on your own. We were very fortunate to, to get that help. And we still have, so that, that coat to still was fairly small, but we had scaled it up and we have one 10 times that size that we still use for a lot of our original recipe stuff. That still is a pot still. It's a true with some columns on the side, but it's a true batch still. We also run now a continuous column still beside that one that helps us with uh, volume. It does significantly more volume and it, the flavors are just different. Every still creates different flavor, different distillate. And so that one has really helped us take our bourbon to the next level, which is pretty exciting. And when you started, you're looking at this, you, you have options. It's like, okay, we can source until we get our own distillate. We could do a white liquor and get ourselves going a little bit while the other stuff ages. You chose to distill everything yourself. So you put out a gin, you put out some other, I mean, I know it took you a few years to get some of the other things like a Nochino, which you put out last year, but really it was the gin first and foremost, while you got the bourbon up and running, right? That's right. Gin and vodka helped us get the bourbon going. And, you know, we had this idea that we were going to make every drop of bourbon and we weren't going to go source. And we did it the real, it was definitely the hard way. And it's fun to start to see that pay off now with the bottled and bond and some of the quality of stuff that we're putting out. I also look at a lot of distilleries that started about the same time we did and sourced amazing whiskeys. And those brands are huge now compared to what we are. So, you know, who knows if we did it right or not, but we were having fun and we were proud of what we were putting in the bottle. And that's kind of been our North Star. You know, not to interject, my job is to try to make you all talk and me not so much. But if you look at some of those brands that did source, a lot of them tried to put out their own distillate, had some trouble with it, and then went back to sourcing. I mean, I, I look at the two brands that really came out of that shining more than anything and, and being able to cut the cord. You look at OKI to New Riff and you look at Chattanooga. Yeah. Both of those distillery, I mean, I love the Chattanooga distillate. I love that high malt. I think they had probably the best transition from a sourced distillate to their own. But I also know that they have tremendous amount of pride in having their own distillate. And I almost think that there's there's two different ways to look at it. But it, at the same time, you can start off sourcing. But are you going to be able to back that up when that time comes where it's no longer cost effective to source all your barrels anymore? You're getting at a point where you're ahead of the game because say they, they built up this brand. Think about that. And then they put out their own stuff and everybody's like, eh, I don't know. At least they can look at you and see, oh, they've been getting consistently better and better. And they're putting out distillate that's aged more and more. You have a bottled and bond now. You have a apple brandy. You have your gin. There's an old fashioned, an an RTD that 
that you have more RTD in a bottle. You know, you have your regular bourbon, your bottled and bond, single barrels. You have a six-year bourbon finished in apple brandy. So much stuff that you have that you wouldn't have had all of that if you just went sourcing to begin with. No, that's so true. And and when your back's against the wall and it's all you and, and you know that you have to do it, we put so much more focus on quality. And like what Aaron's talking about, every single barrel matters. When everything we have is in that, we know. And that's why bringing somebody like Aaron in and the whole time, we, you know, whether it was bringing Dave Pickerel in to consult with us or reaching out to different people in the industry that were willing to help us out all along we've been focused on quality and how do we get better and better how do we make sure that we are putting something in the barrel that's going to be amazing and and i look at this industry and if you rewound to 2010 if you walked into a bar and said hey i made this gin right down the street do you want to try it the resounding answer was we'll buy some you know, I have to back up and say, well, do you want to try it first? Yeah, yeah, of course we want to try it. But if you made it down the street, yeah, we'll bring it in. We'll see if we can sell it. And now, as you as we've seen over the years, you look at 2015 and then 16 and now to 20 and 21, you've had to have better and better quality product as a craft distiller. And I'm not saying that I don't want to take anything away from what we were doing in 2010, but we've certainly gotten better at what we were doing. But we've We've known like, hey, the bar is going to get higher and higher and higher. If you started today, you have to be at a much higher quality and a much higher quality product than you would have had to been in 2010. And so we've chased every detail and chased quality the whole time so that we can get better and better. Knowing that what we're putting away now is going to hit the market, especially on the bourbon side, in four or five years. And I think Aaron can appreciate this as, as well as you, Greg, but there's something to be said about... There is sometimes a craftiness, and, and I know that's not a good tasting note, but sometimes when you taste craft whiskey, it's it's a little bit rough around the edges opposed to what you know, one of those plants that puts out the amount of PGs that Aaron was talking about could actually put out and blend it together. I think there's always kind of a want to root for the local folk. And they will support you even if that's there, as long as the price is right. And I think there's been a whole lot of craft distilleries that have gone and put out their own distillate and then put it 80 bucks and 90 bucks. And I bring that up because you look at your guy's stuff, your regular bourbon, 90 proof, 39.99, your bottled and bond, 49.99, a reasonable price to the community. And I bet they have to respond to that as well. Yeah, I think that's been a real positive. And part of it, you know, the discussions of when we started, we can I remember talking and saying, we're in Columbus, Ohio, and we're making this ourselves, and we're not going to be some big, flashy marketing company. We want to put something great in the bottle that over-delivers and almost under-promises and over-delivers. And you see some of the bigger brands and flashier brands, whether it's vodka or bourbon or whatever, there were the price points really high, and there's all this marketing behind it. We just looked at it and said, we don't want to be that. We want it to be something where people like it. They feel like they, it's an approachable price and they can go get it and enjoy it. It's it's the, it's the sipper. It's not the, hey, I can only drink this times a year bottle. It's the, hey, this is my go-to. Is that something that you're finding more, and I think you were touching on a little bit earlier, just the, the fact that you can blend a whole lot of stuff together a little bit more. You can uh, hide those mistakes. Is there something to be said about going to a craft distillery, though, and kind of having that? I almost 
kind of call it like an artisanal pour. Like, you know, it's been crafted by somebody's hard work. It's not just some huge column still like you had a Barton that puts out a crap ton of liquor. No, you're right. Um, I've tasted a lot of what I would call green distillate, green bourbon over the years. Obviously, I wouldn't say where, but um, it's one of those things where every distillery has growing pains. I don't care what size they are. Obviously, the bigger they are, the quicker they can figure out their problems through their volume and blend it out. You know, I've been very fortunate and learned from a lot of good people that um, if you're keeping things clean, number one, uh, if you're keeping good logs of what you've done and uh, you can go back the next day and figure out exactly what you did. And, you know, if we do it a little bit differently this time, uh, are we going to see the same yields? Are we going to see the same pHs, bricks, sugars, however you're tracking? You can build from that really quickly if you have buy-in. You know, if you, I can go into anywhere and probably, you know, lead a team. But if you don't have the right people that have the right buy-in uh, that want the same things as you do, you're just going to be hitting yourself you know, you're hitting your head against the wall all day long. I have not experienced that one day here. So what year did you then come to Watershed? Oh, this year. <laughs> no. uh, so I've been in Watershed since March 1st. Uh, we've kind of been in transition to get me here uh, since probably late January. Um, but, uh, you know, pretty much after the first of the year, I knew I wanted to transition and uh, after you know reaching out to Greg, it was and visiting. It was it was going to be a great fit. So you're inheriting everything that's there. So this distillate that you're trying now and that that you all sent me. If you like it, you can thank Greg. If you don't like it, then know that Aaron is going to work his magic. I mean, no, that's no, basically no, no, what no, you're no. saying, right? No, no. I no, always if, say, if you, yeah. Go ahead, Greg. Go ahead. I always say, if you don't like it, that was my business partner that distilled that, not me. (laughs) You know, we've tasted, you know, since March 1st. I mean, the first thing we did was taste, I don't know, like 60 barrel samples in a a couple of weeks. So it was one of those things that, you know, Ann was in transition at the same time, too. And it was, you know, we had everybody had, you know, a little bit of deer in the head like look for a second. And then we went to work and we haven't stopped. So I've been we've been very fortunate that every barrel we've tasted has a place in our portfolio. So, you know, it may not fit the bottle and brown profile. It may not fit uh, our new uh, bourbon blend profile, but by golly, you know, we're going to get it out there and uh, we're going to call it ours and be proud of it. I always, we might argue about the place that each barrel has. That's always a fun argument. Mine are first place. So it's (laughs) who wins. That's what I want to know. We're trying to find out right now. (laughs) John, one thing you were saying, though, and it's, it is true. So Aaron has come in and definitely he's definitely making his mark. I, I think the white dog that he's pulling off the still that he's distilling right now is better than we've ever made. And I'm really excited to see as those barrels age, how it plays out. But not huge tweak, not huge changes, but tweaks here and there that are helping things. And it's exciting to see that and think about what we mean in the future for us. You all do i mean this this is stuff that i have questions for aaron on you all get number five alligator char from Speyside. has that been something aaron that you've wanted to come in as a distiller and, and change things up and maybe do some toasted profiles or 
play around there or is that something that you're happy with? And and I'm not trying to put you on the spot and get you in a uh, an argument with your boss. No, not at all. I think that's a fair question. And I think it's a question that I think a lot of people might ask of a distiller. You know, to be honest, there was the legwork was already completed when I got here. They knew uh, from our current supplier that the number five was going to work best for the flavor profile. You know, we were putting into it. One of my biggest goals when I took the position was I'm not here to make something, you know, that's going to win a gold every day. But I want consistency. I want a consistent product. I want when anybody thinks of watershed, I want them to think that it's delicious. It's something different that they've never had. And they love it and they want to tell their friends about it. That's what we're going after. I'm not going after something that's, you know, the fad for this season. You know, we want we want to uh, tell the world, you know, how established we are in Columbus. No, and that's fair. The mash bill that I'm interested, Greg, how you came up with it, but it's 72 percent corn, 21 percent rye and 7 percent malted barley. When you all take a sip of watershed. You're going to get a little, I call it that little pop rocks tingle when you have a, a higher rye and it just kind of makes the, the front of your mouth tingle a little bit. I totally get that on this. But how did you decide on that, you know, alligator char and the mash bill? Did you try a whole bunch of distillate before you settled on the one that you all use now? Yeah, the simple answer is yes. You know, we over the last 11 years, we've been making whiskey and trying different mash bills and barrel char and trying to figure out what makes the most sense and what we like. And if you looked at, uh, there have been multiple changes in mash bill throughout the years. And we really settled on this one and we've been consistent now for, I think about five years with this mash bill, but there was a time when it was shifting pretty, pretty regularly. You think about when you make gin you can go make gin and start it in the morning. And then by the afternoon, you know, if you like that gin or if you don't like that gin and you can change them, you can, you can do several different gin recipes in a day if you want. And so we, the learning curve on gin was pretty quick and we made some adjusted, made more. And we got to the point where we loved gin and you're talking months, not years to get to that point. And with bourbon, it, it's a whole different thing because you make it and you put it in a barrel and you have to wait for four years. I mean, you can, you get an idea after a year, after two years, after three years, you can start to taste more and more, but it definitely took a lot of time to dig in and, and get that mash bill where we loved it. There were factors influencing us as far as grain sources and uh, barrel sources along the way, but yeah, there were a bunch of factors, but basically it came, came down to tasting and what we liked. Now, speaking of what you liked, I mean, you, you got a Nochino that you put out. You have Nochino finished bourbon. You have the apple brandy and you have an apple brandy finished bourbon. And this all started because you have just released the bottled and bond bourbon and the apple brandy finished bourbon. What made you go for those other things? Is that influence that you have kind of traveling abroad, trying Nochino overseas where did that and the apple brandy come into play? Apple brandy was a result of us living in Ohio and there's some great apple cider produced there. And, you know, you have a still and you see something that you can ferment and make something delicious out of. And it's one of those things where curiosity wins and you start fermenting apple cider. And the next thing you know, you distill it. And this We distilled some on the column still, some on the pot still. And we love, it was wildly different from the same batch of 
cider, hard cider. You know, that was more of a curiosity thing. Nochino was a special one. So a local doctor came in really when we first started. It was We were probably a year or two in, and he came in and he shared Nochino that he had made at home. And he was a local foodie and had done some research and loved to make stuff. And so he shared this with us. And I didn't know what Nochino was at the time, but I tasted it and thought, this is amazing. But we were making other stuff. You know, we were really focused on bourbon and gin at the time. And so we kind of dismissed it and said, well, you know, it's amazing, but we're focused on other things. Well, he kept coming in and we got to know him pretty well. And eventually, this is probably four or five years into starting it, he invited us to his house early one July to, it was probably about this time of year to make Nochino. And so we picked walnuts and chopped them up and added the ingredients and took the bottles that we had just made down to his cellar because it has to sit for about four months before you drink it. And when we were down there, he pulled out some older bottles that he had made in years past. And we were on his porch a few minutes later, sipping this stuff and pouring it over vanilla ice cream. It was kind of this magical moment where we realized all right, we have to make Nochino. We're going to bring this to Columbus. We're going to bring it to Ohio. We want to share it with the world. And he wasn't looking for anything from it. He wanted to share the recipe. He wanted someone to be able to make this and, and, and share it with people. And so if you turn our bottle over to the back and look at it, it says, thanks, Charlie, on the back. And Charlie's the one that shared the recipe with us. And he's a local, well, at the distillery, he's distillery famous. He's a local... Uh, celebrity there when he comes in and we definitely like seeing Charlie and he's been good to us. That's a great story. What I'm wondering though, I mean, any plans in the future to try to distill some Buckeyes? Is that even possible? <laughs> I think it's point. I think they're poisonous. There's no Buckeye distillation going on. But I really do think that we need to add peanut butter whiskey to our innovation plan, Greg. Definitely. If you even I'm do. Kidding. <laughs> You could do... I know Ann too well. Don't knock the peanut butter whiskey. I mean, I... great stuff. I went in there thinking I was going to hate it. Like, hate, hate, hate it. And then you have it and you're like, this stuff ain't that bad. But my biggest knock on those flavored whiskeys is there's never one that's 80 proof. They're all 70 proof or lower. And I just want one... Like and and a fun thing to do is actually if you take the moonshiners that we have in Tennessee here and you take some of their chocolate moonshine and you put it with the peanut butter whiskey, you've just made a buckeye in a bottle. Yeah. You're onto something there. Just saying. You might not actually <laughs> distill an actual buckeye, but you could make a buckeye yeah. blend. We can I mean, have the first ever barrel strength peanut butter whiskey. Think about it, guys. It's amazing. Aaron, don't hate on it. If you take some of that sipping cream and then you put that with uh, the peanut butter whiskey, that's pretty dang good, too. Like, I mean, trust me, I am a pure. I love drinking meat, but sometimes that's pretty fun. I'll never knock on the way anybody drinks their whiskey or alcohol of any kind, but I'm not drinking it with peanut butter. I can't do it unless you're going to put. You know, some uh, nice big fat pieces of bacon in there with it. I might touch it. Imagine that. You could do a peanut butter and chocolate whiskey cocktail with some bacon on top. Totally. You all I have mean, a tasting I room. I'm just going to say no to trying it. Trying a sip of it. I don't know if we're going to try to make it. 
It's pretty fun. And you make look at the smile that you gave Anne just from her even mentioning it. Well, I was gonna say speaking of I know. Speaking of drinking whiskey, did you have a chance to try any of our brand new watershed bottles in bond? So I have been the whole time we've been on here. I don't know if you've noticed, but we are a show where we don't just talk to you. We tend to drink while we're talking to you. And I have been having the bottled and bond and the apple brandy. I will tell you that I am normally not a finished whiskey guy. Normally when it comes to, so that probably makes Aaron a little happier when I say that. Typically it's the wine finishes though that I am deathly afraid of it's just something where it gets too dry and it really just like if i wanted to drink wine i would go drink wine i don't want that sweet bourbon in the front and then just a complete dry mouth on the end i love this apple brandy it is uh and and it's an apple brandy finished bourbon i i think i like it a little bit more than the bottled and bond just because it's super sweet and zeke and i have been talking about this on the program the evolution of a whiskey drinker you know you start off and then your proof goes up and your proof goes up and then all of a sudden we're at this point now where we're like we've drank so much whiskey i just want something where i don't have to think it's sweet and i can crush it and like not saying over drink but just like i'm not sitting there and it's super complex and there's a time and a place for that i call them my weekend pours but during the week when I'm working or I'm up late editing this show, not while I'm working during the day, but you know, if I'm doing an Excel spreadsheet at 10 o'clock at night or something like that, like this is the type of pour that I'm going for more than that bottled and bond. That bottled and bond is a little more complex. I love the finish on it. I think it has gotten so much better. I'm not saying you guys were putting out bad stuff. I just... One of the things I love about craft whiskeys is seeing the progression. I was telling Ann that my in-laws live in Columbus, and the first time I had Watershed was at Smith & Winolinsky's in Easton. Like the first time I think you put out a red bottle. I mean, it was way back in the day, and I love the progression that you have to getting to more of a mature product and you definitely can tell this is a little more balanced. That finish, I'm a sucker for the finish, but right now, man, just give me this apple brandy finish and give me like two bottles of it and I'll be happy. Like that will last me a couple weeks and I will be happy with each pour. Yeah, that one's one of my favorite too. It's obviously the oldest stuff that we make and it's fun to see how that stuff picks up all those hints, uh, those dark fruit notes from the barrel. Because this is four-year-old bourbon that is finished in the apple brandy barrels as well both of these that you just released are four years old correct they're both a minimum of four years old so the blend is actually a blend of three different bourbons two of which we make in house and one of which we had to taste lots of barrels and spend lots of time blending but one of the bourbons in the blend is actually our six-year barrel strength finished in apple brandy barrels. And actually our apple brandy, just as a side note, it's not sweet. It's, you know, it's fermented and then it's distilled. And so there's no flavoring or sugar added afterwards. So it really is like an apple whiskey 
you get some of those kind of lighter, more floral notes, but you don't necessarily get a ton of sweetness that comes into it. Just a little more kind of the higher notes and complexity from it, but it does make a huge difference. So our blend is actually a blend of, of barrels that are anywhere from four to six plus years old. And I think it must be because my pre-workout drink is an apple. I think I just equate apples to being sweet. As you say that, and it's always one of those double-edged swords when somebody tells you a tasting note and then you go, oh crap. Yeah, I got it. But I definitely get the apple and I think my brain goes to sweet, but it isn't sweet like a sugary sweet. It's just like you're going to know that it's an apple and does your brain take you there with factory senses and then somebody tells you that and you go, oh, yeah, I get an apple, but it's not like I'm biting into an apple. Sweet. Yeah, I definitely get like a like a wild honey, a little bit of apple, but it's like a, a maybe a little bit of tart apple and some apricot notes. But I always call this one the Sunday sipper because it's just easy. You'll like it from the first sip. I'm with you on that. Aaron, you just came in and this is what you inherited. Which one do you like more? I've got three kids. So that's an easy question for me. I can cop out and say, I love them all the same. And, you know, they they all serve a different purpose. Yeah, but I'm going to put you on the spot because these aren't your kids yet. The ones that you're laying down now are your kids. Yes, uh, they're still screaming. Uh, I am a much more of a high rye, a little bit more proof drinker. I always have been. Uh, anything less than that, it just... Okay, where's this? Where's the other stuff? So for my taste palette, uh, my bottled and bond uh, that we've created, uh, excuse me, I meant my bottled and bond that I'm looking at, that is our creation. But that's the one that I will lean to if I'm going to pour me, pour me a sip of anything right now. Our watershed blend is more or less a statement that we're making beyond the bottled and bond, you know, get past the fact that it's bottled and bond that we actually got to that point to do that. But this is the new statement of our bourbon. That's watershed bourbon that, like you said, that little hint of apple is going to remind everyone that that's watershed bourbon and, and they love it. It doesn't, it's, it's connecting themselves to a memory. I like that. It's kind of your signature. And I know we haven't got to really talk to you in depth. And now I think it's time to get into your area because oh boy, getting into the fact that the whiskey is a little bit older and you have to have a little bit older whiskey before you can bring someone like you in to be the barrel master and the resident bourbon nerd. If you're going to start doing single barrels, things like that, I mean, that's something where you can't just go ahead and do that and be like, oh, yeah, we have two-year-old dissolute. Go pick a barrel. I mean, there's people that do, but we don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) But what's that been like? Because you just came over. You have experience from Wild Turkey and Russell's Reserve where we all know how much single barrels matter down there and oh that's what made me fall in love with single barrels brick house with eddie russell and and i mean you'll just never go back it's like this this is what i'm supposed to do with my life fun fact is we got a cease and desist off of a russell's reserve it's the only sticker we have ever got a cease and desist on was it smoked turkey no no what was it smoked turkey is a pick that we did that That was was great okay but the other it was the year before smoked turkey and we had a buffalo 
with a sign placard on it that said drank more turkey and it was kind of like a certain chicken place and oh, that's great we actually the chicken place called and said oh please do not do that anymore oh and it was like fine it's a single barrel pick it's gone you're yeah. never going to see it again. Right. We won't sell anymore. Yeah. It, it's not. Well, and we didn't even sell it. They sold, They called the store. We were all like, all right. I mean, it sold out in a couple hours, so right. I don't know what to tell you. But what's that been like? I mean, that made you fall in love with single barrels. What was it about that whole experience? I mean, I know what I like about Russell's Reserve single barrels, but what made you fall in love with single barrels? I think when you get to, and especially with that distillery, having so many different brick houses, being able to try barrels that could even be the same age and filled around the same time, but aged in different brick houses or on different floors or even right next to each other that have completely different, I like to say, personalities. And you definitely see that um, we actually age in a warehouse. And so we're in our original location. So if anybody is in the area, please stop in and visit us. Aaron and I and Greg, most of the time, we're there every day. We will literally take you on a tour. It's so neat to see the evolution and especially where we are now with our single barrels getting four or five plus years old. And there was still some experimentation going on there and still some changing in chars and everything. But seeing you really get to know, oh, these are the barrels from kind of this season. But even from the same season, you'll get this variation. Being able to try different single barrels and then talk about them amongst each other. And I, I always you know, refer to kind of the disagreements back and forth and what everybody likes because it's gotten to the point where I think we can kind of pick out each other's favorite barrels. I can tell when I taste a barrel and I'm like, oh, Greg's going to like that one. And <laughs> I say it just like that. And, um, you know, Aaron is great at picking really balanced and complex barrels. And I like things sweet and hot. It's a redheaded thing. I don't know. So, you know, we all have like our own sort of flavor profiles that we go for. And it's just being able to taste different barrels and talk about it is what's so fun. Is it one of those things to where you almost have to put that hat off and realize like I have to pick a barrel, not necessarily that I'm going to like, but that more people are going to like? Oh, definitely. But it, so you're blending for certain flavor profiles and there's definitely a flavor profile that I think we all agree on for bottled and bond. And it really, I mean, these are, these are barrels that we definitely agree on our favorite barrels. And then when you get into the single barrels, you're looking for, at least in my case, I'm always looking for unique because, you know, I'm sure you've done a lot of single barrel picks. And when somebody presents you maybe three barrels and they're really not that different, that's not fun. We really like to have variation in what we present people. And then there's also the signature flavor profile, you know, the easy approachable for our everyday watershed distillery bourbon. So it's a very hard job, but we have to taste lots of barrels, make lots of notes and kind of sort them out. And then, and then even when you taste them and then you start putting them together, 
sometimes you can have a whole bunch of great barrels, but the outcome isn't great. And then so you have to start going through and you have to say, okay, well, what, what are we missing here? And look for other flavor profiles to add in. It's a lot like cooking. It's fun. Are you starting to see a lot of the groups come and try to do picks or is it more just stores? Because it's always that evolution when you see the groups coming to do picks there, you know, things are about to get pretty uh, crazy pretty quick. We've had both and both types of people coming to do picks. They're totally different in what they're looking for. They're both so much fun, but for different reasons. I mean, I love when the barrel groups come in because you really get the personalities and some great conversations going. And then, you know, the retail buyers usually have some pretty discerning palates. So it's really interesting to taste through barrels and hear other people's take. Yeah, it it is a blast. I know that you were in Ohio, Michigan, Kentucky, Georgia, New York, New Jersey, Illinois, Florida, and Washington, D.C. Why aren't you in Tennessee? Greg, (laughs) we haven't made it there yet. Yeah, we haven't made it there yet. I think Tennessee is interesting. Nashville is such a cool city. It's such a fun town. But I feel like we're treading water in the states we're in trying to keep up. But Tennessee is coming. We'd be excited to be down there. I always just tell people, don't overlook Tennessee because it's so funny to me that people don't realize it. Like the Nashville bourbon community is huge. The Nashville whiskey community is huge. You know, we have all these distilleries down here and we're two and a half hours from Bardstown. You'd be amazed at how many people drive from here up there just to go to a release. Like that's how crazy we all are. You have no idea what it's like until you release here and you come down here. And I can't wait until you do it because call me, I will be your tour guide and I will take you around. I mean, the distributor could do it, but I can do it too. I'll I'll take you around. I'll get you in touch with the people. It'll be a fun weekend. That sounds like a lot more fun. It is. I promise you. Those ride-alongs are rough because they schedule you like down to the minute and you don't even get to eat. Yeah, some of them can be pretty rough, right? (laughs) And I feel like, Greg, you probably settled more into the selling mode opposed to the distilling mode, probably because of your sales background and you you had that beautiful long hair previously i don't know what happened to it maybe i just bring that up because i'm jealous because this is the summer cut i can't grow hair but if you if you google greg layman like you could have put it in a man bun yeah it was pretty close to a man bun you're right (laughs) it's uh definitely shorter now it's shorter and a little grayer it's hard to see here in this light but distilling for 11 years turns it starts turning it pretty gray i have gray in my beard And it's rough. I mean, like, it's just, you know, the fact that I can't grow hair on the top of my head and I have gray in my beard now, I'm like, crap, this is what it's like to get old. It's painful. My beard is pretty much white. I can't even say there's gray in it, especially down here. It's very, very white these days. And don't worry. I only give you hell for that because I'm very jealous of your hair. I mean, I, people look at pictures of me with hair and they think I'm a completely different person. Like they'll be like, Hey, this like thing showed up in Facebook and it was memories from like seven years ago. Like who's that guy in the picture with your wife? Like, yeah, that was me. (laughs) I did not send pictures of the long hair in the email. Just so you know. (laughs) That's fair. Was this a point of contention that I didn't know about? 
No, no, no. no. Hair is always changing. Don't worry, so, Anne. I do my homework. I, I, like I dig up those things in the past, but I would say what's next for Watershed. But I mean, I kind of feel like you all understand from the statement, Greg, that you you said treading water. It's like you're not going to throw out a whole bunch of skews at this point because you really just want to satisfy the markets you have and maybe go to new markets. That's probably the, the next thing for Watershed, right? Yeah, absolutely. We see that we're just scratching the surface in a lot of these markets we're in. And so how do we continue to make great stuff? And that's what Aaron's focused on. And um, as we get more and more online, yeah, can we go to new markets? Can we satisfy the markets we're in? And, you know, that, that's the fun part. When we broke into Michigan a few years ago and got to spend some time in Detroit and learn about that city, it's been great. It's been fun. But I think about Nashville, Nashville would be great. I know we'd have a great time down there. I know it'd be fun to get to know the city and the restaurants and the people down there. So that that's when it gets exciting when we're taking the whiskey out and sharing it with people. Well, we can't wait to see when it happens and we can't wait to follow you along in the future. I try this bottled and bond. If you can find it, I know a lot of people from Ohio listen, and I know a lot of people in Michigan, Kentucky, Georgia, New York, New Jersey, Illinois, Florida, and Washington, DC listen as well. Find watershed all over the grams. I think it's watershed distillery. You can find Ann at bourbon Annie. You can find them at watersheddistillery.com. Thank you, Greg. Ann and Aaron for coming on. This has been a pleasure. I know we're going to have to do this again. I'd love to have Aaron on again in about six months and see what it's like for him after he's had more than like two months to work. <laughs> no, it's, it's really been a pleasure. Thank you guys so much. It's been fun talking with you. Find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Find us wherever you download your podcast. Chances are you already have because you're listening to us right now. You can also find us here in Nashville, Tennessee. Cheers. Cheers.